following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. We officially say to you, Happy New Year. All kinds of things are new, including a new toy. Everybody's been making comments on it. I'll say right off the bat that I don't like it uh, from the first Sunday of using it. Every time I go and sit back, and I don't think of what I'm doing, the cord grabs and it yanks my head backwards, which I don't care for. But I have gotten some good jokes out of it so far this morning. First of all was uh, the comment that if I could simply have better teeth and more hair, I could have a, be a television preacher now. Because <laughs> I got this, and they all wear these. Uh, the other was the question of whether or not the kit came with a complimentary Britney Spears costume, <laughs> which, in fact, it did, and I will be wearing next week. So <laughs> if, if there's a Sunday to not be here, it's then. We're going to be in Psalm 19. See, how do you start with Britney Spears and then turn to the scriptures after that? I don't know where to go, but uh, you're in Psalm 19. We're going to read the whole psalm together, but we're only going to be looking at three verses this morning. But I just want to make sure that we have the context of what we're going to be looking at today. So if you will, look at Psalm 19, verse 1, or just look here at the screen behind me. David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them, There is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, as we come together for the first time this year. It is a joy to be able to sing the songs of praise that we have this morning. And it is a great joy for us to be able to open your word and learn from it this morning. And my prayer for us, Father, is that you will take what this time of year represents, which is a time of new beginnings for many of us, and you will allow us to establish a good course, something that we can use to make 2013 a better year than 2012 was, a year where we strive to be more like you than we did last year, where we strive to say no to sin more than we did last year, a year where we give ourselves to your word and your spirit like we never have before. We pray for that individually as your children, and we also pray for that corporately as a body, that Cornerstone as a church family will love you more this year than we ever have in the past. And so I pray, Lord, this morning as we look at your word, that your spirit will open our eyes to its truth, and that you will help us to be committed to you this year. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, uh, we are in no man's land for a few weeks here. Uh, If you are new to us or you've never been with us during one of our transitions, typically speaking, what we do here at Cornerstone is we study uh, different books of the Bible just as a whole. So we studied 1 John, we studied Colossians, we studied Genesis 1 through 11, and we're getting ready to go to what book? Oh, come on. How long have we been talking about this? We're getting ready to go to the Gospel of Mark here in just a few weeks. Uh, the reason we do the book studies as opposed to a lot of topical kind of messages is because I genuinely believe that this is the best kind of preaching that you can do. It lets the scriptures set the agenda for what we're going to cover week in and week out, and it protects you from whatever particular hobby horse I happen to be riding on a particular week. Now, having said that, though, when we've been in between book studies, I have taken the opportunity to ride my hobby horses as much as I like. Uh, and sometimes they can be fairly random one week to the next, completely different things. Sometimes they're all leading to a particular end, whatever the case may be. Uh, I just use this time to address certain things that have been on my heart, certain passages or certain issues or really whatever it is. I just try to take advantage of this time for our benefit so that we can, we can see a few things that maybe we haven't seen in whatever book study we've been in most recently. And since we're here at the beginning of the new year, I thought it would be great to take a few Sundays to talk with us about some New Year's resolutions that I think all of us should make, every single one of us, individually and as a church family. Now, let's just clear the air right off the bat and just ask a few questions. Raise your hand if these are true. How many of you by raising your hand, would say you made some kind of resolution or set some kind of goal in 2012. January 1, 2012, raise your hand, don't be ashamed, put it up high. Wow, that few, I'm shocked. I I used to make fun of people who made resolutions, and I never would make them myself. Um, Then I realized that one of the benefits of making resolutions or goals is that you actually get a few things done through the course of the year. If you make none, you tend to get very little done. Uh, so now I'm a proponent of it. I actually write them all down in a, I'm a dork. I've got a big document. I keep it all in and track what I want to accomplish and everything with it. So for me, it's a major deal. Now, for those of you who raised your hands and said you, you set goals for yourself, how many of you can say honestly that you accomplished all of your goals in 2012? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Nobody. All right. So I didn't feel bad. All right. How many of you accomplished some of your goals in 2012? You kept a few of them. A few being like somewhere between, let's say, 1 and 50. I'm kind of in the one end of things. So that direction. How many of you would just honestly say in front of everybody, I accomplished nothing that I set out to accomplish in 2012? Is there anyone who... One person. Look at that. Give her... Oh, two people, right? Give them a round of applause here. Good job, guys. Thank you for your honesty. Um... Well, I I think we should set some goals for ourselves. I think they will help us accomplish some things in 2013 that maybe we didn't accomplish in 2012 or work on some things in 2013 that we didn't work on in 2012. And so what I want to do with us over these next several weeks is present them to you and strongly, strongly encourage you to do them. These are not things that I just personally find important. I think these are things that are biblically important, things that we all should be doing, that we all know we should be doing, but perhaps are not. And so I'm going to start with what is probably the most important resolution that we should make in 2013 first, and there's no 
uh, surprise here has been talked about all morning long is that we would spend time daily in God's Word. This should be a resolution that every single person in this room should make. It doesn't matter anything about your life, your circumstances, how busy you are. You should make this goal, set this goal for yourself this year. Now, this is no surprise, right? We all know this. We've heard it all throughout our lives, numerous, numerous times from different people that this is what we should do. But here's the reality. If I was a betting man, and I'm probably going to offend a few of you when I make this comment, but that's okay. If I was a betting man, my guess is that less than half the people in this room spend daily time in God's Word. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, he must not have a very high estimation of us as a church, uh, please understand it's not a personal comment against you that I'm making here. It's simply a reflection of what I know of human nature. That this is one of those things that even though, though we know we should do it, we struggle with it very, very much. We'll be consistent with it for a while, then we'll be completely inconsistent with it for a while, then we get back on, we get back off, and then eventually we get tired and we give up, and, and then you restart, and it, ugh, it's just herky-jerky, in and out. You just can't make a decision and stick with it. That's why I'm saying that probably, if I had to guess, Probably less than half the people in this room this morning actually read their Bible before they got here today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on that one. Uh, Or maybe even in the past week or maybe even in the past month. It's a struggle for all of us. And so my desire this morning is to encourage you to recommit yourself to this thing tomorrow. Like, I'm not looking that that you just agree with me that it's something you should do. I'm, I'm assuming you agree with that. My purpose this morning is to encourage you to do this tomorrow so that you will begin to give yourself to this very, very important thing. And so here's what I want to do uh, along those lines this morning. I want to kind of approach it in two ways. First, I want to give you just a very basic reminder of why you should spend daily time in God's Word. I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know, just as a warning up front so everybody knows where we're at. I'm not going to give you anything new. It's simply a reminder. And if I'm reminding you, it means it's already in here. You just need to stir it back up. Number two, I want to talk with you a little bit about how you should go about doing this, or really, if we're going to be more accurate, how you shouldn't go about doing this so that you can implement this, uh, this discipline, the spiritual discipline in your life with hopefully some success. And so let's begin with number one, why we should be reading our Bibles daily. Okay, very, very basics. So why I brought us here to Psalm 19, because here in Psalm 19, verses 7 and 9, David gives us six reasons why we should spend regular time in God's Word. Okay? And just to make sure that you understand the context of what's happening here, I'm going to just ask and answer a few basic questions. They're not going to be on the screen. I don't think any of this will be complicated. Number one, who's writing Psalm 19? David. See, I gave you a freebie. Number two, made it easier. Number two, when was it written? And I'm not looking for a year. Just give me a ballpark. When was it written? When? Before Christ. A long time ago. That works for me. Before the New Testament, before Matthew was written, or Mark, or Luke, or John, that means that it's written during the Old Testament times about the Old Testament. 
Keep that in mind. That's going to be important later. Number three, how is it written? Well, it's a song. It's poetry. And in verses 7 and 9, you really get to see the poetic nature of this particular passage. Each verse in verses 7, 8, and 9 contains two statements about God's Word, and each of these six statements follows a pattern. He begins by referring to God's Word in some way, shape, or form. He starts in verse 7 by calling it the law of the Lord, then in calls it the testimony of the Lord, then the precepts, then the commandments, then the fear, then the rules. You see six different ways of referring to it, okay? All of them are referring to the exact same thing, and that's to the Bible, God's Word. Specifically, he's probably referring to which five books of the Bible? Does anyone know? The Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's probably talking about the Old Testament law there when he's saying these things. So he begins by referring to the scriptures. Number two, the second part of the pattern is that he tells you something about them. So for example, in verse seven, he says that the law of the Lord is perfect. Okay, this is what you need to know about God's word. It's perfect. And then part three of the pattern is that he gives you some kind of a benefit from this truth. So because the law of the Lord is perfect, it's able to revive your soul. So he's going to follow this three-part pattern of reference, description, benefit throughout these verses six times. And these are the, the six things that I want us to look at today. All right. So why should we read, read, why should we read daily? Number one, because the scriptures are our life. They're our life. See that there at the first part of verse 7. He tells us that because God's word is perfect, it can revive our soul. Now, what does it mean when he says here that it can revive our soul? It means that it can give us life, that it can restore something that's, that's fading, that's, that's cold, that's dead. It's the same concept that David's going to use in Psalm 23, the the great psalm there where he says that God, who is our great shepherd, leads us beside the still waters so that he can what? Restore our souls. The same idea that God is able to refresh us, to give us life again through his word. The exact same concepts here. It's the purity, the perfection, the blamelessness of the scriptures that he says is able to do this. And this is important if you're entering 2013 feeling a little cold, spiritually speaking. If your soul is feeling a little dry right now, maybe because you just haven't been in the Word or maybe because of other things going on in your life, what's going to restore that? What's going to give you that life back again, that time when you really knew God's presence and understood it because you could feel the life that He gave the spiritual life, the new life he gave you in Christ, what gives you that life again? Well, it's God's word. And so for the sakes of our soul this year, we should be in the word. Number two, we should read daily because the scriptures are our wisdom. You see that in the second part of verse seven. And I'm going to work through these very, very quickly. It tells us there in the second part of verse seven that because the testimony of the Lord is sure, it can make wise the simple. And the word sure here just means trustworthy, okay? What you read, you can trust. You know it's telling you the truth. And so because I know it's trustworthy, it can take me as a simple person and give me wisdom above and beyond myself. 
And we just saw, I think, a great illustration of this a few weeks ago with the shooting in Connecticut, and we talked about that on a Sunday morning. What gives us as believers insight into the wickedness of man that nobody else has? It's the Scriptures. It's understanding what God has told us about how dark and wicked man's heart is. We understand that, and so when we see evil in the world around us, we grieve over it and we hate it, but at least we understand why it's there and what the real solution to it is. That's not our wisdom. This is God's wisdom, and as we find his wisdom in the word, it makes us wise. Number three, we should read daily because the scriptures are our joy first part of verse 8. He tells us there that the precepts of the Lord are right, and because of that, it rejoices the heart. And, And I don't think this is a complicated thought. As people who have been made in the image of God, we love what is right. Even even unbelievers hate injustice. They, They prove this in their movies when they make movies where the good guy wins at the end, where right prevails. Where, where what's wrong is done away with or destroyed or is shown to be wrong. We have an innate love of what is right. And when we are confronted with something that is right, what does it do? It brings us joy. The only real joy that we can have. Number four, we should read daily because the scriptures are our guide. Second part of verse eight. He says that because the commandment of the Lord is pure... It's able to enlighten our eyes. He keeps coming back to the concept of the purity of Scripture. It's, it's blamelessness. It's perfection. The fact that there is no flaw in it, and he finds many benefits here. But he says it's able to enlighten our eyes. In other words, to show us the path. To help us see the way that we should be going in life. You want to say no to sin more in 2013 than you did in 2012? You want to fight whatever it is that you're struggling with more and better. You cannot do it by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need to understand that. Real change only comes in the Word. It's it. You'll never find it anywhere else. It only comes through the Word. And so if we're going to obey God more in 2013, if we're going to know how we should live life, we do it in the Scriptures. Number five. We should read daily because the scriptures are our foundation. Again, first part of verse 9. He says that because the fear of the Lord is clean, it endures how long? Forever. And he's bringing us back to the purity of scripture again, but this time he's using it as proof or evidence of the abiding nature of God's truth. Because it's pure, it will never change. There's no update there's no beta, you know, there's nothing that it that needs to be fixed. It will always be there and it will always be true. It is the foundation that never changes. And why is God's word the foundation that never changes? Because it's whose word? God's word. Are you guys asleep? It's God's word. That's why it never changes. Because God himself never changes and because he is perfect and pure, his word will never change and we can build our life on it. And then number six, we should read daily because the scriptures are our confidence, which is kind of the summation perhaps of all the other ones that we've seen already. In fact, this one's actually a little different than the the previous five. He says there at the uh, end of verse nine that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Notice it's not really 
a benefit that he gives. He really gives you a double description. They are right and they are true altogether, righteous altogether. And because it's true, because it's righteous, we can depend on it in every situation no matter what, okay? So if you ask me, why should you be reading daily? Here are the six things I would remind you of this morning. Things you know. That's why I'm not spending a lot of time on them. Things you know of why you should be doing this. It's because it's your life and it's your wisdom and joy and guide and foundation and confidence. But you already know it. And yet you're still struggling in it with it. Because a lot of times it's not enough for us to simply know that we should do something. I find for me, half the problem, if not more than half the problem, is often in the how. The, the making it work in a way that, that will stick in my life and that will help me do the things that I know God wants me to do. If, if I'm going to be a good husband, I want to be a good husband. I, I want to love my wife like Jesus loves the church. But how? <laughs> I'm a sinful man. I want to pray. I want to spend time every day in prayer, but that's hard. How do I do it? See, these are this is, at least for me, how I operate. I know what I should do. It's the how that's the problem. Well, I want to address how we should go about doing this, okay? How you should go about reading daily, or like I said earlier, to be a little more honest and accurate about how you shouldn't do it. I'm going to give you six ways here that you should not read your Bible in 2013. Because if we talk about how we shouldn't do it, hopefully you'll learn how you should. You can say it however you want. Now, before we go into this, let me give credit where credit is due. I have been um, working on this for several days. And uh, Jordan emailed me, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, and said, hey, what are you preaching on on Sunday? So I said, well, I'm going to do this New Year's resolution series. And resolution one will be reading the Bible daily. He said, oh, that's good. By coincidence, I just happened to put an article on the church blog about five ways you shouldn't read your Bible in 2013. I'll check it out. So I checked it out. And you know what? It was a great article. It was so good that I said, uh, that's in now. Um, So I've got six for you. The first one is mine. The other five belong to a guy named Matt Smethurst. And if you want to read his article All you have to do is go to our church blog and you can read it there. But here are six ways to not go about reading your Bible this year. Number one, don't do it without a plan. Don't do it without a plan, okay? Because this is a common error that people make on this particular issue. So they they decide it's it's January 1st, I'm going to read my Bible this year. And they get up in the morning and they get their cup of coffee and they sit down at their couch and they put their Bible in their lap. And then they just stare at it for five minutes because they don't know where they want to go. They're like, where's that passage where Jesus got swallowed by the whale? Was that, was, that, was that Isaiah? And they're trying to figure it out, and they don't know where to turn. And so they're stuck. And it's uh, paralysis by analysis, isn't that the phrase that you use for this, where they just don't know what to do? Well, guess what? You should have a plan. You should know what you're going to do this year before you even start. What's the old saying about people who fail to plan? They what? No, they're stupid. That's, that's my old saying, okay? If you fail to plan, you're just, you're just starting off on the wrong foot, and so have some kind of plan. And here's the great part about this. Any plan will do. Anything will do. 
Um, I'll give you some suggestions only as suggestions in case you're sitting there going, I really don't know where to start, okay? Number one, there's the over-reliable, just read through the Bible in a year, right? You start in Genesis 1. If you read three chapters a day, you'll finish, okay? That's it. It's real simple. It's easy. You don't even, all you need is a bookmark and you're good to go, all right? So that's one idea. Or Jordan, for example, every year makes a variation of that for us, something that he puts on cobblestone. You can print out a reading guide. It's the same idea, just arranged a little different. You can do that. Some people, and I've never done this, but I've known other people who have. Some people will read one book a month. That's it. So let's say they take, um, they'll take Ruth, and they read Ruth every day for a month. What's the benefit of doing that? Well, by the end of the month, guess what? You know Ruth. You and Ruth are like BFFs. You, you're together now. You, you know each other well. Um, or if it's a bigger book and you want to, you know, if you want to do one of the Gospels, we're going to be in Mark. Read Mark 1 through 3 every day for a month. And at the end of the month, go to 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. That way you can catch all the things that I say that are wrong. There are all kinds of ways that you can do this. It doesn't matter what your plan is. You just have to have a plan. Don't read your Bible this year without a plan. Number two, don't overextend. Don't overextend, okay? Because there's going to be like one of you in this room who says, you know what, I've got a plan. My plan this year is I'm going to read the Old Testament every morning. I'm going to get up at 1 o'clock, and from 1 to 8.30, I'm going to read the Old Testament every day, and then when I get home at night, I'm going to read the whole New Testament. I'm going to start at 5 and read to 12.30, Sleep 30 minutes, get up, start again, okay? It's a worthy idea. It's not going to happen. And oftentimes, again, I feel like, at least this is a comment from me, I set very lofty goals. And the problem if your goal is too lofty is that it lasts for about a week or two, maybe, and then you stop and you've got nowhere else to go because your plan was bad and now you don't have anything to fall back on. May I say to you that I would much, much rather see you find something that you can do that fits you and your situation in life rather than some amazing, big, impressive thing. You know, you're a new mom and uh, you're hardly sleeping because you're nursing all the time and, you know, everything's crazy in life. Maybe a chapter a day will be great for you and that's all you can handle in life. That's fine, okay? You, You need to pick what will work. And guys, can I say to you, because I understand this, if you're not a reader naturally, because I'm not naturally a reader, jumping into this resolution can be very, very hard. Because it's not about nothing against the scriptures. You're just, you don't read anything. (laughs) You just watch television. That's all you do. So, so starting something like this can be tough. Again, I would rather see you just read one chapter a day and nothing more than to read nothing at all, all year long. Anything is better, perhaps, than what you're doing now. So pick a plan, but, but don't overextend. Pick something you'll actually do. Number three, don't do it alone. And this is not the most important of the six. I'd say it's number, number two. It's the second most important of them, but it's here in the middle. Don't do it alone, because here's the deal. It's easier to quit if you're doing it alone. Why? Because no one knows that you failed don't do it alone. I'm going to reveal something about myself that's going to shock a few of you. I don't like to exercise. Um, (laughs) Ed (laughs) laughed harder there than I 
hoped for. I've never, I've never been much of an exercise person, but when I was in high school for a time, I did exercise regularly. And the reason that I exercised regularly then was because of a good friend of mine named Zach Howard. Zach and I were opposites in pretty much every way, but somehow clicked well together and, and were good friends. So like I was good on the academic side. I was pretty much straight A's in school, but I struggled with anything that required physical coordination whatsoever. Zach was on every, literally, this is not a joke, he was on every sport our school offered, including some of the girls' sports. No, that, that was a joke, but he, he was in every, some of you are like, wow. Uh, he was just really, really good with those things, but he wasn't the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. So he and I somehow struck up a friendship, and for I don't know how many months, we would get together weekly and uh, work out. And Zach's over there bench pressing in high school like 200 pounds, and I'm over there bench pressing in high school like two pounds. And it's, it was very, very humiliating for me to have to do this in front of him. However, I stuck with it. And why did I stick with it? Because I had Zach there pushing me, keeping me accountable, calling me, hey, you coming over? We're going to work out. That's what you need in lots of areas of life, but particularly in this one. If you're going to make this commitment to spend time daily in God's Word, you need to let some people know. Not in a bragging kind of way, but in a way to help you, to keep you accountable and to keep you on track. So tell your spouse. Say, listen, I'm going to to read every day. Please ask me if I did. Tell your community group. Don't just keep it in the house. Get people outside of the house to know as well. Tell people in your community group, look, I'm reading this year. Please keep me accountable. Every morning, email one another, something like that, so that you guys are text one another, so you guys are keeping each other accountable for this. If you do it alone, chances are you're not going to stick with it. You have a much better likelihood of, of, of staying with this if other people are with you. Number four, don't just do it whenever, meaning you need to set a time. Some time that is set aside in your calendar and everyone who's close to you knows it so that you know, your wife and kids are aware that this is, this is the time that I'm going to spend reading my Bible. Pick a time and stick with it. Um, I highly recommend to you, and some of you are not going to like this, getting up early in the morning to do it. I, I really think that's the best time of day. It's the time where you're least likely to be interrupted by people. It's the time where you're least likely to get a phone call or an email or have something else comes up. If there's ever a point of your day where you may have a little bit of control, I'm not sure there ever really is, but if there ever was one, it's probably best in the morning. But hey, I understand God made morning and night, and some of you like the night better, and that's fine. It doesn't matter what your time is, but pick one and stick with it so that you can actually keep this. Number five, don't live as if Paul lied. What do you think that's referring to? It's referring to reading the Old Testament. Don't ignore the Old Testament this year. Now, I hope you kind of have a renewed or a new sense of the value of the Old Testament from having gone through Genesis. There's a lot there. And when Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is inspired and is profitable, he was really thinking back. (laughs) When David there in Psalm 19 says, Leviticus is my joy, some of you are like, you're on something. You're crazy, all right? But he's, he's expressing his heart that he finds joy and wisdom and guidance and confidence in the Old Testament. So this year, as you're reading, don't ignore it. 
Don't pretend that Paul lied and you're just going to be in the New Testament because you're missing much of what God has written for us. And then number six, and this is the most important of them all, don't turn a means of grace into a means of merit. Okay, here's a question. It's a pop quiz. Do not answer out loud, but do answer in your mind. Are you ready? Does God love you more if you read your Bible every day? Second question, does God love you less if you don't? The answer to both questions was no. He doesn't love you more if you do read your Bible every day, nor does he love you less if you don't. That's because his love for us is not based on our works, but is based on whose work? On Jesus's, on Christ's work on the cross. He loves me because his son died for me not because I do these acts that make me feel spiritual inside. That word, that concept of feeling spiritual, what does that even mean to people? I don't know all the time. But whatever it means to you, it is not the means by which you judge yourself in relation to this issue today. I hope you understand that. You have, are loved by God, have a right standing before God because Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you've placed your faith in him. That is the only reason, only reason he looks on you with love because his son died for us. Our reading the scriptures daily is a way for us to show our love to him, but it doesn't affect his love for us. It's a means of grace. It's a means by which the spirit can take the word and apply it to my heart to show me areas where I struggle, to encourage me in areas where I'm doing right. It's the way God changes me. It's through his word. It's a means of grace. It's, it is not a means of merit. And so if you take this decision, this resolution, and everything I'm saying today, and you somehow turn it into some form of legalism by which you judge yourself or others, then please don't do anything. And I mean that sincerely. Don't do it. Don't read if that's what you're going to turn it into. I don't want you to do that because I don't want you to be guilty of that sin. We come to God's word to be changed by it, not to judge ourselves or others by it. And so the very first resolution that I want you to make in 2013 is to spend time daily in God's word. You've been reminded as to why you should do it, things you already know, and now I've given you some reasons or some ways how to do it or how not to do it. Now what's the final step? Got to do it. (laughs) And my expectation, and I mean this with all sincerity, is that every single one of you who have heard this Tomorrow, maybe today, read your Bible. It's such a basic thing. It feels like we're in Sunday school. (laughs) It's such a basic thing, but it is the foundation of everything else. It is the, the scriptures are the foundation from which everything we say we believe comes from. It's the foundation from which our worship is expressed, from how our life is to be lived. It's the foundation of everything, so we have to do it. And, and I would say to you that this isn't the kind of decision that's going to require weeks of prayer on your part to figure out whether or not you really should do it, okay? Here you go. God wants you to do this, all right? I'm, I feel very confident in that remark. God wants you to spend time in his word. And so every one of you tomorrow should get up and do this. And just in case you didn't take notes today, I asked Jordan to put the six things, the six ways you don't do it in your bulletin so that everyone would walk out of here today with those reminders in hand. Keep them in your Bible. Do something with them. Put them on your your mirror at home in the bedroom, whatever you do. Keep them with you 
so that we as a church and as believers individually can make this resolution this year. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning asking for your help in this. Because ultimately, Father, for those of us who are believers, we know we should be doing this. We've known it forever, it feels like. And yet we struggle. We struggle with with how to go about doing this and we're making it a regular pattern in our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, we come now and we just plead before you that you will be with us and help us in this. For every single person in this room, Lord, I pray that you will take this message as weak and feeble as it is on my part, but use the exhortation here to encourage each person to get up tomorrow and to make this a priority tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. May we look to one another for encouragement in this, to those in our community groups, our family, our friends. Let them know what we're doing so we're not doing it alone. Help us, Lord, to make this the most important part of our day each and every day. And Lord, in the weeks ahead now, as we look at some of the other things that we should commit ourselves to, we, we help us to remember that this is the, the first domino. It's the foundation. It's the thing from which everything else flows so that we will be more Scripture-focused this year than we have ever been before, either as individual people or as a church. Love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning. We ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen.